All right, we are in Romans 11 tonight. Romans chapter 11. And I'm not even going to tell you all how many pages of notes I have. Otherwise, you'll probably get up and walk out. Uh, and I'm leaving a whole point out. I'm, I'm literally leaving a whole point out just because I just don't have time for it. And frankly, after all I'm going to give you, I shouldn't even need that extra point anyway. And I, I, I hadn't even done this. I was meaning to do this for the study. And then right before church, I went and I got my Schofield. And I started reading uh, Schofield's notes on Romans 11. Oh, man. <laughs> got, it got me a little fired up. And so we might cover some of Schofield's notes if we have time, too. And it, oh, man, it, it'll make you mad. Schofield, I'm telling you, that guy has really done a lot to mess up Baptists, and especially King James people. It's mainly King James people that have been infected with Schofield, and it's a crying shame. And I, and I hate it, and I hate him, and... Um, I feel like saying, do not I hate the Lord that hate thee and, uh, and dedicate it to Schofield. But anyway, uh, let's get right into Romans chapter 11. Before we do there, one thing I want to point out, there are two great errors that people make when interpreting this chapter. One, they make it about the future. There, there is no reason to do that with this chapter. Paul is not talking about things to come. Paul is talking about things in his presence. Not just in our present, in his present. They, the, and then people also will isolate sayings, things that Paul said, and they will apply meanings to them that Paul never intended. And so we're going to see everything Paul talked about in this chapter was applied to that day. Sometimes he even specifies it. In fact, more than once he specifies it. But we're also, what we're going to do too, we're going to define phrases by the context. We're not just going to take a statement and run with it. But that's what happens. And people will do that with this very first verse. It says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God's not done with Israel. One of these days, God's going to restore them to their land. It's happened. It's been happening since 1948. And one of these days, there's going to be this big revival. And, you know, we're going to keep supporting Jews and helping their military and do whatever we got to do to kill Muslims and whatever, because, you know, God will bless them that bless, you know, bless them and curse them that curse them. And so, or curse those that curse them. So we're going to do all that stuff. No, that is not what this is saying. That is absolutely not what this is saying at all. It's literally just saying they can still be saved. That's all it's saying. And, and, and it's, it's going to become very obvious you know, you can't just take a phrase, God hath not cast away his people, and then teach something that completely contradicts everything Paul discussed in the last two chapters. But Paul is showing God is not, God not casting them away. It just simply means they can still be saved. Nothing he said, nothing he said in the chapters before this implies a future revival is coming for this nation that he said would be destroyed in two, two chapters earlier. And so the proof that this is about the present, Paul's present, is the very next verse where he uses himself as proof that God will still save Jews. And the reason he's saying all this is because it's very important. Paul, he, he's, all of Romans, it's building on each other. And after all the things Paul said in the previous two chapters about the physical nation how God raised it up for destruction, how they are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. In chapter 10, he showed how this is what the prophets prophesied. 
It, I don't want it to happen, but it's going to happen. It was prophesied that Israel as a whole would reject the gospel. And so as much as I would love to just kind of keep everybody in suspense about what Paul is going to reveal, I'm just going to tell you what he's going to reveal. And then we're going to go through this chapter and you'll see this is exactly what Paul's talking about. And another reason people butcher this passage so badly too is because they are, when they read this passage, their mind is in the future. They are looking for evidence of a future, nat, future national restoration for Israel. When Paul, You know where Paul's mind is when he writes this? About getting Jews saved then. That's where his mind is. But your common Zionist, dispensationalist, whatever, their mind is looking for evidence that God's going to do something in the future with Israel. And part of that, too, you know, is because of what Schofield says in his notes. And we'll, we'll get to some of that. I don't want to get sidetracked with that right now. But uh, we'll see why. And so it's actually very clear why what Paul is explaining in these chapters. And so let me just summarize. First, Paul laid out full details about how someone gets saved from chapters 1 through chapter 8. In chapter 8, Paul showed there's no condemnation for those who are walking after the Spirit rather than the flesh. But there is condemnation. There's always condemnation if you're walking after the flesh or trying to achieve righteousness by the law. In chapter 9, Paul acknowledges that national Israel was not saved because they were walking after the flesh. They were trying to achieve righteousness by the works of the law. Now, he also said, and this verse is so key, I, I sometimes almost wish we didn't have the chapter divisions in our Bible. Always remember, those chapter divisions are there to help us find things. And it's very helpful. But a new chapter does not mean a new subject and a new idea. And Paul has made it very clear in verse 4, that you know it was to the Israelites that pertained the adoption and the covenants and all these things. And one might think that the word of God had taken none effect because of the fact Israel was not saved. So he makes that very important statement for they are not all Israel that are of Israel. That's a very important statement and we're going to get back to that later on. But, and, and so in verse 5, one thing I need to do, I do need to correct the mistake. I did preach something wrong uh, in verse 5 that was pointed out to me. And far be it from me to not admit when I get something wrong. But I, 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 I'm not being smart. I got something wrong. In verse 5, it says, Whose are the fathers, and of whom is concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Now, when I, when I was preaching that, I said that that was saying that Christ came for Jews in the flesh. What that is actually saying, what was pointed out to me, is that no, it's saying that Christ came from Israel in the flesh. Because Jesus did physically descend from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, I definitely got that wrong. However, I'm glad I got, you know, this person helped me correct that, because that actually backs up the main point I was trying to make in that chapter, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises to Israel. Because Jesus descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus is the seed. Jesus is Abraham's seed. All those who are in Christ are Abraham's seed. And so when it's saying that, you know, to whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, again, this is showing how he is the fulfillment of all those things. 
And that's going to be very important here in chapter 11. So, um, yeah, you know, if our basic premise is right, any verse we get clarification on should only strengthen our position. And, you know, the clarification I got on that from someone who disagrees with me and disagreed with that message was able to point out. And he was like, yeah, I did get that wrong, but that actually helps my case now that you straighten me out on that. But, but anyway, so I, we got that on the record. I corrected it and uh, strike that from the YouTube video <laughs> from two weeks ago. But Paul goes on to show that the word of God is fulfilled towards Israel by those who are of promise or faith rather than those of the flesh. We can't forget about this. We cannot pretend it was not mentioned when we are in chapter 11. We can't do that. Chapter 10 shows how national Israel's rejection of the Messiah was prophesied. In chapter 11, he is in no way, shape, or form teaching a national revival that is to come for Israel. But he is proving, based on the events of that day, that those of national Israel are not cast away and can still be saved. Here's what we're going to see in this chapter. We are going to see, uh, it's, it's clear from what Paul is telling the Romans that there was a very negative attitude by them towards the Jews. And I can kind of understand why, because they were being persecuted by the Jews. But Paul was, was try, is going to try to explain to them how, no, it's a good thing when they get saved. It's always a good thing. I don't care what you think about another group, another nationality. I don't care how much you hate another nation. It's always good when somebody gets saved. It's never a bad thing. And we should, we should never hate an ethnicity so much. And we should never hate anyone so much that we don't want them to get saved. We shouldn't do that. And I think that was, going, that, that was clearly going on here in chapter 11. We're going to see that. So, uh, chapter 11 is not about the future. It's about the present. The promises were never to all the descendants. The truth is, though, there would always be a remnant. The Israel that will be saved will be all of the true Israel, which will be all those of faith or promise, and it will exclude those who are of the flesh or only of the flesh. So let's start going through this chapter now, and we're going to see there, there's no doubt as to what we're talking about here. So verse 2, after he says, hath God cast away his people, God forbid, for I am an Israelite, he said, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. Why ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. You know, y'all shouldn't go around saying bad things about Israel all the time. Well, Elijah did. But I guess it was okay because he was Jewish. And just like, you know, certain ethnicities can use negative slurs against themselves, <laughs> but other people can't. You know, Elijah can say stuff against the Jews. Paul can say stuff against the Jews. You know, all the apostles can say stuff against the Jews. We can't. So, fine, I'm not saying it. Paul's saying it, okay? I'm just going to preach what Paul preached. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time, at this present time, also... There is a remnant according to the election of grace. So, they weren't all blinded. They weren't all lost. God was still saving Jews, which made sense because the salvation Paul preached was something that was promised to Israel. It was preached to the Jew first. It's the power of God to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This Roman church needed to understand that. No, the gospel saves Jews and Greeks. 
Saves, it can save them both. So Paul saying God hath not cast away his people wasn't alluding to a future restoration, but a present situation based on the fact that he, Paul, as well as many others were currently saved. Paul even got saved after the stoning of Stephen when we start seeing the shift go to the Gentiles. Paul got saved after that. So keep that in mind. God was not, God did not quit saving Jews after the stoning of Stephen. We see a lot of Jews get saved after that time, even though we don't see a major revival again amongst the Jews, but we do see some still getting saved. God's promises to Israel were good and were fulfilled. The day of salvation had come and Jews were getting saved. A revival had come. Thousands of Jews had gotten saved. The Messiah had come and turned ungodliness away from Jacob. He, I mean, all these things had been promised just like God said. So verse 6 says, And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. They got saved just like everyone else did. By faith and without works. And this verse is just a great proof text too to show you can't mix faith and works. That's not how it goes. Okay? And I don't have time, you know, I don't even need to spend any time on that. You all know that here. But then this next verse. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Blinded. So remember, national Israel. What's this verse saying? What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he, which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest, the individuals, were blinded. That's what it's saying right there. According as it is written, God hath given to them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. You know why they're standing and praying at a wall? Because they're blind. Because they can't hear. That's why they're doing that. They're in blindness. But you know what? Are they, ca are, are they cast away? No. No, they're, they're not cast away. They can still be saved. As da and David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back always. Looks like David's saying mean things about Israel too. Paul's referring to. But again, he was Jewish, so he can say it. But uh, fine, I'm not saying it. David's saying it. But go ahead and let's look at Psalm 69. This is what Paul's quoting. It says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Okay? And some people say, this, isn't ta this is talking about the Romans, not the Jews. No, it's talking about the Jews. Okay? Paul just referenced this next verse, and he applied it to the Jews. And it says, let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom thou hast smitten. And they talk to grief of those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity unto their iniquity, and let them not come into thy righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous." But I am poor and sorrowful. Let thy salvation, O God, set me up on high. Notice, David was making intercession against Israel, just like Elijah was making intercession against Israel. Israel's sin was great. I mean, folks, there is no greater sin than the killing 
of the Messiah. There's no greater sin than that. But here's the thing. Okay? God's grace was greater. God's grace was greater than the greatest sin. Israel deserved to be wiped out many times, but God never did. You know why? Because God made a promise to their fathers that there was a seed that was going to come. That there would always be a remnant. In chapter 9, he said in verse 29, even as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and made like unto Gomorrah. That's what Israel deserved many times. But God promised a seed. God promised, and not even just Jesus Christ, but a remnant. God promised there would always be that saved remnant. And so there is, and even today, you know, if, again, not that any could really prove they're Jews, but even if they can, I'll just give it to them. They can still be saved. You know why? Because God promised a remnant. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, while Jesus was the stumbling stone, the stumbling that took place was not for the purpose of causing them to fall and never be saved. Okay? What we're going to see here, people get confused about some of these next verses because Paul is bringing up false ideas and correcting them. And so if you just kind of isolate phrases, you can really get the wrong idea. Paul is correcting some wrong thinking here. So this fall that happened, okay, God didn't trip them up and make them fall just because he wanted them to go to hell. Because he was trying to make them go to hell. No, that actually through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. God used their rejection and God used this revival amongst the Gentiles. God was using the salvation of the Gentiles to get them saved, to provoke them to jealousy. Even though they had rejected him, God still wanted them to get saved. So God is doing this work among the Gentiles hoping that the Jews would see it and say, you know what? Maybe we ought to get in on that. You know why? Because God still wants to save them. That is the point of this whole chapter. That God, in this present time, to this day, can save Jews. In Paul's day, that he's speaking of. And so, many will take this verse and declare this verse about God provoking them to jealousy. Pre-tribbers do this all the time. I just made a video the other day on one of my podcasts where a guy did this where they will take this verse where God said He's going to provoke them to jealousy. Now, let me ask you, has that happened yet? Yes. It was happening then. It was happening then during that time. Paul spelled it out for us, but people will take that phrase and they'll say, no, this is about the future and God is going to provoke Israel to jealousy when He raptures the church out and they're left here for the tribulation. They're going to realize, oh man, those Christians, they're up eating at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're left behind here for tribulation. We're jealous. Let's get saved. That is not what that's talking about. But yet people will say that. You know, that's how it's going to happen because the Jews require a sign. I mean, unbelievable. Don't get me going on the Jews require a sign. But that, this is exactly what people teach. But God is provoking them to jealousy because He wants them to be saved. And, uh, and uh, he's actually quoting here uh, Deuteronomy 32.21 where it says, They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. 
I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So the provoking of jealousy has already happened. Now we need so again, and when when people start talking about that like it's future, I just want to you know jump out of my seat, jump through a computer screen, I just want to choke somebody uh, because it's like. What Bible are you reading? Well, this is the Bible they're reading. Schofield. That's what, that's what they're reading. But, uh, where, where were we? So, Paul, yeah, so Paul referenced, or Paul just referred to prophecies showing they would be blinded and reject the gospel. But this was not so God could replace Israel with Rome. Even though the church in Rome was being used of God, while Israel wasn't so so much, he and he, Paul also didn't want them to get the idea that there wasn't still room for the Jews. God did not reject the Jews so you know the Gentiles could be grafted in. That's not what was going on. The olive tree that we were grafted into is against our nature. Okay? But God, God saving Jews is a good thing, and God can save all of them if they abide not in unbelief. In fact, Paul is going to even show here that the saving of the Gentiles is done to try to bring Israel to Christ. Okay, God provoking them to jealousy, it just means he wants to save them. That's all it means. God just wants to save them. Because look what it says in verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid... But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Okay? And he's responding to a wrong idea here. He's basically saying, if you think their fall is good for the world, if you think the diminishing of them is good for the Gentiles, just understand, their fullness would be even better. Again, it's always a good thing when people get saved, even if we don't like them. Okay, just what country does America hate the most? And don't say Russia, because I'm starting to like Russia more and more. Uh, but I mean, what, what, what's a country we don't like? Yeah, you, yeah, you got. I like you got it too. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll say North Korea. All right. Okay, this is hard for us because you know, despite what people say about us, we are not prejudiced. Okay? We are, but let's just say, it, you know, it would be horrible for us as a Christians to just hate North Korea so much that we don't want to, we don't want people to get saved in North Korea. That'd be pretty messed up. And the truth, the truth is, we understand that no, it's always a good thing. No matter how wicked a country is, we want to see other people get saved. We want to see other countries get saved. Of course, if I could pick the country where there was going to be a great revival, I'd pick America because that's where I live. But if I find out about a revival in another country, I'll be thrilled for that country. It's always a positive thing for everyone when people are getting saved. Maybe it's not positive for the wicked in their mind. But for us, we should always be thankful. And so he's, he's responding to this false idea. And he said, for I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. Paul knew the nation wouldn't be saved, but it wasn't going to stop him from getting who he could from there saved. And Paul did not want this Gentile church to have the same attitude towards the Jews that the Jews had towards them. Because remember how the Jews responded when they saw Christians? They didn't like that. 
You know how they responded? Like the older brother of the prodigal son. He didn't like it when the younger brother came back to the father. That's how the Jews were towards the Gentiles. And we should never, ever be that way towards the Jews. We shouldn't be that way towards any group. We always want to see people get saved. It's always a good thing across the board. We have nothing to lose when somebody gets saved. And so, again, this, might, this idea might seem a little foreign to us because as Christians, we, we are the least racist people in the world. We are the most inclusive religion in the world. But the world has not always been that way and it especially wasn't that way back then. And so he's trying to he's trying to fix this. He's trying to straighten this out and let them know this is a good thing when Jews get saved. You don't have a negative attitude toward them. Don't 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 be that way. So we should always be joyful when we hear about people coming to Christ. Even a nation that we don't particularly care for, nothing bad ever came from someone getting saved. Verse 15. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world. Okay? If you're thinking this is a good thing, the casting away of them, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? He's just showing the receiving of them is better than the casting away of them. Why are you so anxious for them all to go to hell? No, it's better if they get saved. And I can, I can think of many reasons why the Romans might not have liked Israel very much. Maybe they were getting ripped off by interest in the bank. Maybe they got tired of all the pornography they were putting out in Rome. Maybe they got, you know, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe they got tired of just all the nonsense. Maybe they got tired of the persecution that was going on with them as Christians. Maybe they got tired of that stuff and started thinking very negatively towards them. And you know what? I think I can see why the Apostle Paul would have had a soft spot. One, they were his family. But two, he used to persecute Christians himself. But yet, God saved him. And so... Paul, while a lot of the Romans were probably done with Jews, Paul was not done. Paul was not done with Jews. He, he believed they could still be saved. Verse 16, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And let me tell you, Israel will be just fine if they get saved. Any nation will be fine if they get saved. I don't like North Korea. Well, if they have a revival in North Korea and it turns Christian, you're going to like that country a lot. We're going to like any country. We're going to like any place where people are getting saved. It's always going to be a good thing. So don't worry about Israel. If they get saved, they're not going to be that problem for you anymore. So let's cheer on the salvation of anybody. When you see a nation, a culture, a people you don't like, our automatic desire should be for them to get saved. For God to do a work with those people. If you do, if you do have a prejudice towards a certain group, you know what? Instead of just thinking about ways to eliminate them from the earth, why don't you think about how we can get the gospel to them and let the word of God change their life? That's the attitude we ought to have as Christians. Because we're not allowed to go around killing anybody. So we should just go around trying to get people saved so God could change them. That would be a good mission for us to get on. So, verse 17, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. And we, we don't have anything to boast about if God's using us. It's all about the root. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. And if God was able to graft us in as a wild olive tree, then God can graft them in as well. So, just understand... 
it's, is it not super clear what he's talking about? He's talking about salvation of Jews in that day. He's talking about these people can be saved in that day. Thou wilt say then. He's, ta- he's about to tell another false idea. The branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. I don't know, maybe the Calvinists were around. talking about limited atonement. And there's only a certain number that can get saved. So God got rid of the Jews to make room for us. No, that's not what it's about. They don't think that they were broken off so you could be grafted in. That's another false idea. He said, well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. And so unbelief, not works, is what made them get broken off. They, the, the Gentiles got in by faith, so they don't need to brag as Gentiles and act like they're better. Paul has already shown that both Jews and Gentiles are all sinners. So, he's like, don't even go there. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest He also spare not thee. And this, I've talked about this before. This is not teaching you can lose your salvation, but He's showing these Romans. He's showing them that the Gentiles not to think of themselves as superior to the Jews because if the Romans get high-minded, God won't eventually use them anymore as a nation. And we need to learn from this in America. I mean, hey, is God, is God using Rome right now? Anybody hear about you know, evangelists and preachers getting sent out of Rome these days? No, Rome is completely gone, infiltrated, taken over by the Vatican. I mean... Folks, they, God didn't use Rome forever. Those individuals that were saved to use them forever. But Rome is not a shining light. In fact, it is a place of great darkness and great deception. Like Israel even today is. So America, let me tell you, we've been a light for a long time. But it's going out. And we, I'm telling you, eventually, I think America... If Lord Terry's is coming, God's going to be done using us. I don't, there's no way we can continue on this path unless there's a major revival somewhere. So, this isn't saying individuals can lose their salvation. That's not what this is about. And so he says, Behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity. But toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. And God will be good to us in America if we continue in his goodness. But if not, we're going to be cut off. Think about England, what they used to do. All the people they sent out. The revivals that started from England. I mean, a lot of the great revivals in America were you know, influenced by people from England. I mean, our King James Bible came from England. You know, I mean, it's, it's amazing the things that came from there. But when was the last time you heard about anything great coming out of England? England is always, and let me tell you, England's always like 50 years ahead of us. They all, they're always like 50 years ahead of us. And it's not, that's terrifying because it's not, it's not pretty over there right now. So there are many, in fact, there's many places and nations in history that at one time were used of God in a great way, but they're not anymore. You know why? They let false doctrine come in. They let apostasy come in and God broke those branches off and God used other nations to bear fruit and to do great works. And so it says in verse 23, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief. Boy, that's a, such a important verse right there. If, if, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Everybody isolates them. God is able to graft them in again. And then somehow they're like, He will graft them in again. 
No. If they abide not still in unbelief. If they abide not still in unbelief. There's an if. That's, that's there. And that people use, they will use that passage to teach they will be grafted in. They ignore the if. And they ignore the still in their current situation. If they abide not still. He's talking about that day. God is able to graft them, the Jews, in again. Verse 24. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert graft contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And again, if God can use the Romans, He can use the Jews. God can use any group. You take, I don't care what nation it is. I don't, you, you, the most uneducated, you know, primitive, if they will get saved, and they will follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. God can use them. And God can use them in a great way. And I, I do. I think it's very possible if, if uh, Lord Terry's is coming for much longer, that we might see another major revival take place in another country. And I don't think it's going to be America. And, and so um, when that happens too, it's probably really going to get dark over here. And if you see that happen, that might be when we start talking about moving to another country. <laughs> And you know, go jump on that bandwagon. As long as we just don't bring our apostasy with us. Let me let me just. I hate to chase a rabbit here, but as pathetic Americans, as as you know, just lame. And you, you know, let me tell you, the, the lameness, the patheticness. We all have have had some of it rub off on us from the independent fundamental Baptist world. That is a mess. The last thing we need to do is do like the Jews did, that Judaized all these good churches back in that first century. And then when they, when God starts doing a great thing in another country, we don't want to go over there when the revival is going on over there, when God's using them and Americanize them. And that's what's happening in a lot of mission fields out there too, is you've got missionaries that are going over there and trying to Americanize a lot of these churches out there. And that's not necessary. Okay. And they call it old paths. Jeremiah 616, old paths. No, it's called Americanizing Christianity. Watch out for that. Another subject for another day. But that's what will probably happen. Because that's just the way it's always happened. But verse... I'm chasing too many rabbits. Verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, here is a very, very, very important question. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? Okay, now, Schofield in his notes actually says this is to be distinguished from the times of the Gentiles that we read about in Luke. And, you know, I, I actually agree with that part. I'm like, yeah, I, I agree with that. What is this fullness of the Gentiles? Don't let somebody just come along and define that for you and not without any scriptural basis. Let's, let's define this. So he says, Blind as the parts happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Now, turn back to Genesis 48:17. I think this is very interesting. Genesis 48:17 says when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim it displeased him and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head and Joseph said unto his father not so my lord for this is the firstborn put thy right hand upon his head and his father refused and said I know it my son I know it he also shall become a people and he also shall be great but truly his younger brother there's that younger brother again shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. 
Do you want to know what the definition, if you look up that Hebrew word, what the definition, you look up the definition of the word multitude there, this is literally the word that's there. Fullness. Fullness is the word that's used. The first word for the definition of multitude is fullness. And nations is goy. Right? We all are familiar with goyim. And, uh, and do you know that word nations in the Bible is synonymous with Gentiles? In fact, in Isaiah 9.1, it says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, in Galilee of the nations. In Mark 4, 4, Matthew 4.14, says that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So do you all see how uh, nations and Gentiles are the same thing. So literally, what uh, Jacob was prophesying here about Ephraim, who I've, I've preached on this before and I've proved this before, represents the Gentiles. He said he will become a multitude of nations or fullness of Gentiles is another way you could put that. It's the same thing. Multitude of nations and fullness of Gentiles is the same thing. And so what is Paul saying here when he says, and he's talking about a mystery, okay? He's bringing up a mystery. He's revealing something here. This is something deep. This is something that was hidden, something that they didn't fully understand in the Old Testament. It was prophesied, but it was not fully revealed. Okay, we just showed Jacob prophesy about this multitude of Gentiles, this fullness of the Gentiles. And so when he says, I would not even be ignorant, of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part is happening to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. This is going to be this way until this multitude of Gentiles come in. Here's the big question. Come into what? Come into what? I think it's clear what it's talking about. It's talking about Israel. The true Israel. The Israel... And even Schofield, too. I found this interesting, too, in Schofield's notes. A lot of dispensationalists, hardcore dispensationalists, they scoff at the idea of a spiritual Israel. I don't know how they reject it, but I mean, they, and I think they have to reject it because it's the only way to be consistent, I guess, in their world. But if, if, if they're right, which they're not. But they scoff at that idea. But um, he, he literally, in here, uh, I didn't. I didn't mark it, but he refers to the. Oh yeah, he says, uh, in the history of Israel, a remnant may be discerned, a spiritual Israel within national Israel. Yeah, so, you know, even a stop clock is right twice a day. Okay, I'll show you the stuff where he was wrong, but even Schofield acknowledged because there's no way around it, unless we're just going to ignore everything we read in Romans chapter nine, and so I so. Um, verse 26, this is the big verse. This is the big verse that everyone really isolates. So after he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in, and so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out a sign the deliverer that shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And people will tell you that's still in the future. Wrong. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. 
you're still waiting for the deliverer to come and turn ungodliness away from Jacob, somebody needed to tell Peter that. Because in Acts 3.25, he says, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. So don't even try to argue with me and tell me that's in the future. No, already happened. Isaiah 45.16. Say, well, that's about Israel. Isaiah 45.16. They shall all be ashamed and also confounded. All of them, they shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. Verse 20, jump to verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength, even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. So again, so notice, this, all these things are for Israel, but again, God included people from all over the world. It's even prophesied back then. And so he's saying, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. So when it says all Israel shall be saved, there is no doubt. This is referring to the true Israel. The true Israel. And it says in verse 27, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And so when Paul made this statement, and so all Israel shall be saved, he is affirming the fact that the Word of God had taken effect. Again, I know we're Baptists here. I know this was three chapters. And, you know, most Baptists have the attention span of a moth. But this is exactly what is plainly here in the text. In verse 6 of Romans 9, he said, Not as though the Word of God had taken none effect. He said that because he claimed national Israel is not saved. Even though all these things were for them, Paul was sad over the fact that they weren't saved. But he said, not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. So he spends chapter 9 showing those of the flesh are not Israel. They are not Abraham's seed. They are not the children of God. It's those who are of faith. It's those who are of promise. Like he said in Galatians chapter 4, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And it was prophesied. One, that there would always be a remnant. There would always be a remnant. And it was also prophesied that there would be a multitude of Gentiles that would come in. There would be a fullness of the Gentiles that come in. In fact, it was prophesied that Ephraim the Gentiles would be greater than Manasseh, Israel. In fact, when you go to Revelation chapter 7, when we see the rapture, what do we see? We see 144,000 Jews mentioned, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then what do we see after that? A multitude that no man could number from every tongue. What's going on right there? It's showing God's fulfillment of His promise. We've got the remnant of Israel just like was promised and we've got the multitude of Gentiles just like was promised. That's what we're seeing right there. Now somebody, somehow, 
people got the idea. I don't know if it was Schofield or who gave the idea that well, that's 144,000 Jews that are going to get saved after the rapture. They're going to evangelize the world. I don't see that in Revelation. I don't see him evangelizing the world. I don't see that. But yeah, everybody's telling me that's what they're doing. And that's another subject for another day. But no, that's just, show, that's, that's just showing at the rapture that God's fulfillment. God fulfilled His promise. God got the remnant. God got the multitude of the Gentiles. And so the Word of God had taken effect. Here's what the Word of God is actually teaching. Not, not everyone that descends from Abraham is a part of Israel. But everyone who is of faith is a part of Israel. And so what's going on right now? Paul's like, I want Jews to get saved. You should want Jews to get saved. But blindness in part has happened to Israel until that multitude of Gentiles come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. All Israel is going to be saved. Meaning the true Israel. Meaning, because again, those multitude of Gentiles coming, coming into what? Coming into what? Can, can some dispensationalist answer that for me? What are they coming into? What, they're coming into Israel. They're coming into the covenant. They're coming into the promises. They're coming into all these things that God promised to Israel. There's a multitude of Gentiles that's going to be coming in. And yes, and so all Israel shall be saved. The Word of God has taken effect. God's promises will be fulfilled. Just not the way some of you might have been thinking. You were mistaken. Paul's clarifying. Paul's showing the truth about these things. So verse 28, he's kind of back on this main subject. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the Father's sakes. So again, it's true. Israel was their enemy when it came to the gospel, but when it came to the election, God loved them and God's love for them was for the Father's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not God the Father. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was was for their sake. God promised them a remnant. So while these Romans didn't like Jews very much, those ones that got saved, the the elect, God loved them. And you know what? They need to love them too. You ought to love your brother. That's what he's telling them right here. And so God promised that not all the descendants would be saved, but He did promise a remnant. And let me tell you, the fact that there is a remnant, the fact that God saved all those Jews, it's nothing more than a miracle of God. But you know why God did it? For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That's, God doesn't change His mind on those things. And I'm glad because salvation was a gift and I'm glad God will never repent of that gift. I'm thankful for that. So these Romans shouldn't have a negative attitude towards saved Jews. And I, do, I hope we'll never be that way towards the saved Jew. I hope, we'll, I hope we'll never have a ne- I hope nobody in here would ever be like, oh, yeah, I was really hoping you'd go to hell. <laughs> I don't know too many Christians that would be that way, but there's probably some. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's some out there. We don't ever want people like that. And I can't imagine just what, what, kind, what kind of person would you be to just be disappointed somebody got saved? I, mean, I think the only people I've ever seen disappointed somebody got saved, it was like wives whose husbands got saved, and then they didn't like it when he got on fire for God and wanted to serve God. <laughs> I've seen that before. Where it's like they wanted, they didn't want him to go to hell, but they also they just they wanted him to stop beating him and being a pain in the neck. They didn't want him to get on fire for God, and I, I've seen that happen more than once, and that's always a shame. But uh, that's that's some, another subject and another uh, type of issue there. But verse thirty says, "For as ye in time past have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so 
These also now not believe that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all. And Paul is again showing God still wants to save them. And this may seem strange as wicked as they are, but look at what he says next. Because again, we can't understand God's love. We can only believe what he says. But listen to what Paul says. Because remember, he already showed how Elijah made intercession. David made intercession against them. But he goes on in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And God is a good and loving God. And the fact there were saved Jews, and not only, there were thousands. It is a testament of the goodness of God, not of the Jews. It's the goodness of God. And absolutely nothing in this chapter implies a coming revival for national Israel. There was nothing. Everything was in that present day. Literally everything we looked at was in that, that present day that he was talking about. And, the, and but prophet, but and I said I would love to see, you know, I'd love to see a few, you know a big revival amongst the Jewish people. I hope there is one. I, I do. I hope there is one. People they act like with me. It's like you act like you don't want what to happen. I want one to happen, but you're trying to tell me it's in the Scriptures that it will happen. It would be like if I went and I said, no, I'm telling you, the Bible prophesies a massive revival in North Korea. Oh, and you know, people would argue with me. That's not in the Scriptures. Oh, so you don't want people from North Korea to get saved. You hate North Koreans. No, I just don't see it in the Scriptures. And I don't see what these people are talking about in the Scriptures. I'm seeing them misuse Scripture to prove an event that they want to come. That, that's all that I'm seeing. And so, again, where do people get the idea that this is talking about the future? And I'll show you where they get the idea. Good old Schofield. Okay. And you know what? Never mind. I believe he's in hell today. And I hope it just got a little hotter for him today. I mean, he just this guy, the amount of damage that he, he's done... But this, this is Schofield's notes. And boy, it's just coincidence too. Right here where we're going to do a page turn. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Page turn. Note, in between the Scriptures, and, you know, and it gives you time too, after this, where if you're reading the notes, you'll read all this nonsense in here. I'm not even going to go into that. We don't have time. I should, but I'm not going... No, don't, don't read it. Don't read it. All right, but look what the note says. Israel is yet to be saved natu- nationally. Where did he get that from? We just went through the whole chapter. Where do we see Israel getting saved natu- nationally? We don't. Paul has already shown in chapter 9 they will not get saved nationally. He's already showed that in chapter 9. He's just showing that individuals can still be saved. And Paul wanted individuals to get saved. Paul was one of those guys and got saved. He's telling the Romans, you shouldn't be, you have a negative attitude towards these people getting saved. God can save them. God will save them if they abide not still in unbelief. 
Yes, there are your enemies according to the gospel. Yes, there's blindness in part, but they're not all blind. Everybody take that verse too and it's like, God's eventually going to lift that blindness from them. No, blindness in part, they weren't all blind. They weren't completely blind. They could still be saved back then. Everybody takes that and makes that about something in the future too. But no, he's just saying, it could already, but then they're, they're reading that, it's like, no, change subject. National Israel is still going to get saved. That is not what that is teaching. That is not what that's teaching at all. That goes against completely what he said in Romans 9. He said, not as though the word of God taken none effect. He's saying that because Israel is not saved. Israel is not going to get saved, even though all these things were for them. And so Paul spent those three chapters showing how the word of God had taken effect. It's not about the physical seed. It's about the spiritual. It's about those who are of faith. And God, not only, God, God will say, first off, whosoever, he talked about in Romans 10. But then in chapter 11, he's showing that God will even save Jews still this day. This day. And God will continue that operation. God will continue to save Jews if they abide not still in unbelief until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. I don't know when that's going to be. But when, when, the, when, God, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, guess what's going to happen? Jesus Christ is going to return. There's going to be a resurrection. And we're all going to be caught up with Him. And all Israel shall be saved. And this, But here's my question. Where's that revival for national Israel after that? It's not there. It's only in Schofield's notes. I'm telling you, Schofield, you know, it's like, do you throw away King James Bibles when they're Schofields? It's like, it is King James I don't know. Just, it, it, I, I hate Schofield and his notes. Hate. I just, when the, what he has done is so bad. And so absolutely nothing in this chapter implies a coming revival for national Israel. It's not there. Today, we should be doing the exact same thing Paul was trying to do in his day. Try to get a remnant. That's it. Paul went back to Israel to get a remnant. Paul knew the nation was going down. That, and I don't even have time to go in. That was one of the things I was hoping to get into tonight. But we, we don't have time. But Paul did understand destruction was coming for his people and for Jerusalem. And it was. It was shortly after he wrote this letter... He decided to go back to Jerusalem. You know why? He wanted to take one more shot at reaching his brethren and getting some of them saved before God came and wiped them out. And that is exactly what happened. And so national Israel is not going to get saved. They got destroyed. They got destroyed. And so with that, that is the end of Romans chapter 11. And here, interestingly enough, Basically, what we just saw from 1 through 11, it was all the doctrine of salvation. It's all about how to get saved. It's all about how uh, gen, you know, Gentiles get saved. It's all about how Jews get saved. 9, 10, and 11, he's showing what's going to happen with Israel, but it's all about mainly about salvation. When we get to chapter 12, after he's finished explaining salvation across the board for Jews and Greeks, now he's preaching to the believers, and he starts talking about Christian living. So, the next weeks, you might have liked hearing me go after Israel the last three weeks, but you know what? You need to be around for the next five while we rip on you, God's people, because we need preaching. All right? Don't just like 
don't, don't just come for the preaching against the Jews. They're not even here. Okay? You need to be here for the preaching for you. And so this is where we, we get preached to for the next five chapters. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word and, and uh, the clearness of the scriptures. Lord, we thank you for salvation. Lord, I pray you'll help us to have the attitude that Paul was talking about, that we'll, we'll never have a negative attitude towards someone getting saved. Lord, even uh, the Jews with all the wickedness that's associated with them, I pray that we'll have a heart for them and a love for them like Paul did. And I pray, Lord, you'll uh, help us see some uh, Jews saved. Help us to be able to bring some to you and to reach some of that remnant. And in the meantime, Lord, I pray you'll help us as we try to help bring in that multitude of Gentiles as well. And I pray you'll give us uh, victory in your name we pray. Amen.